history and our history. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to the Mystery in Our History podcast, where we take an in-depth look at all things urban legend and conspiracy theory related, and how they came to be. I'm JR, that's Chris, here we go. Yep. So we're back today with more uh, cryptozoology. So, but if you aren't the one person from Australia who listens to this show, you may uh, not be aware of this particular cryptid. So today we're covering the bunyip. Hey. It sounds hey, like something that grows on your feet, but it's not. <laughs> now, if you're wondering why that name might sound familiar, bunyip, um, mm-hmm. it's because you've played Final Fantasy X. And okay. bunyip, That's yeah, bunyip in Final Fantasy X is a helm-slash-armored type enemy that could be found along the Dijodes high road you need to capture five of each helm slash armor type enemy in order to unlock tank it in the species conquest selection of the monster arena oh okay i didn't know all that i didn't know but uh yeah i mean i definitely played it when i was 15 and i loved it Uh, i didn't know all that though i thought i was supposed to be the nerd on the show but i'll let you have the geek crown you know what it's because you didn't subscribe to game informer bro (laughs) <laughs> you're right i was uh i was uh god what was the other one i don't even remember i had the other stupid magazine it wasn't the game informer though well it's gonna drive me crazy i'm gonna I'm, gonna I'm gonna figure it'll, it out it'll the come to you it'll come just feel free yeah. to interrupt the podcast and let me know when you remember it um <laughs> okay. now but for the context of this podcast uh we're gonna stick to the one from australia all right so the good old down under cryptid yeah. um I've never heard about it, so I'm definitely excited to get oh, into nice. it. Oh, nice. I found one that you have not heard of. Yeah, not Look yet. This. So, it's That's, exciting. This is a this is a, uh, a mystery in your history podcast first, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, they uh, usually I hear of all these crazy ones, but not not the bunyip. All right, well, not here yet. we go. Let's go. Let's get into the bunyip. The Bunyip is a large, mythical creature from Australia Aboriginal mythology, said to lurk in swamps, billabongs, creeks, riverbeds, and waterholes. There can never be enough hydro homies out there, so yeah. and it's also, good to have him out there. It was not until right now that I realized Billabong is not just, like, a clothing company. Dude, okay. I felt really stupid when I read that, and first, my first thought was like, "Oh, like the clothing company," because I guess <laughs> I've never heard of what a Billabong was either. So I guess Billabong is an, an Australian clothing company, maybe. Maybe. Anyway, I digress. Who knows? Doesn't matter. <laughs> the Bunyip was part of a traditional Aboriginal belief and story uh, throughout Australia, where its name varied according to tribal nomenclature. The origin of the word bunyip has been traced to the Wemba Wemba or Wurjijaya. Wurgaya language of the Aboriginal people of Victoria in southeastern Australia. I don't know if I pronounced that right. I apologize if I didn't. 
Europeans recorded various written accounts of bunyips in the early and mid-19th century as they began to settle across the country. So I definitely wouldn't have done any better with those, so just know that. <laughs> um, <laughs> but also, early documentation of anything when it comes to any any sort of conspiracy is always good. So the yeah. earlier the the sightings, the better. So that's that's good. I feel like we're in for a good one. So according to the folklore, uh, the bunyip is an aquatic animal, or I'm sorry, aquatic mammal. It has smooth okay. skin, quote-unquote apricot eyes, so like orangey mm. eyes, um, and a bellowing cry that it releases before pouncing on its victims and devouring them. <laughs> so its eyes say vegetarian, but that bite eating me says carnivore. <laughs> well played, bunyip. <laughs> Draw them in, pull the good old switcheroo the old switcheroo <laughs> get a little who's your daddy who's your daddy right oh. so it's represented uh, as uniting the characteristics of a bird and of an alligator it has a head resembling an emu with a long bill at the extremity of which is a transverse projection on each side with serrated edges like the bone of a stingray. Its body and legs partake of the nature of an alligator. The hind legs are remarkably thick and strong, and the forelegs are much longer, but still of great strength. The extremities are furnished with long claws, but the uh, let's see, but the aboriginals say it was usually it was oh, Jesus. I can't speak. Let's try this <laughs> one more. Time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. We're right back okay. after a word from our sponsors. <laughs> All right, and we're back. We've composed ourselves. We apologize. <laughs> we just you ever a little just bit right in the face fit? now, but yeah, oh, man. Okay, so I'm just gonna restart that bullet point. <laughs> it's represented as uniting the characteristics of a bird and of an alligator. It has a head resembling an emu, with a long bill, at the extremity of which is a transverse projection on each side, with serrated edges like the bone of a stingray. Its body and legs partake of the nature of the alligator. The hind legs are remarkably strong and thick, and the forelegs are much longer, but still of great strength. The extremities are furnished with long claws, but the natives say its usual method of killing its prey is by hugging it to death. When in the water, it swims like a frog, and when on shore, it walks on its hind legs with its head erect, in which position it measures 12 or 13 feet in height. Dude, that's uh, that's disgustingly horrifying to like imagine a twelve to thirteen foot long like frog beast standing in front of you, like looking deep into my soul with their little apricot eyes, you know. <laughs> well, so that's not the only description though, because the the bunyip is also known to have a bunch of different descriptions. Uh, some say it has a dog like face, dark fur, a horse like tail, flippers, walrus like tusks and a duck-like bill. 
Others say the creature has an appearance similar to a snake with a man and a beard, which is just weird. This creature is described to gobble up children and livestock in several aboriginal bedtime stories if they come too close to the water's edge. The bunyip is also said to prey upon the women and children of aboriginal tribes during the night. It's hard to tell what the bunyip looks like because of its claims of variations, but all sightings agree that it is definitely an aquatic mammal. All right, so I'm I'm going to hate to be this guy, especially on the conspiracy show, but honestly, that I feel like that could just be alluded to like alligators, right? Alligators in the dark. Possibly. Right, cuz like it, it because it it was it was killing people on the sh- on the uh, on the waterbeds, or eating up animals and and mm-hmm. people on the waterbeds. So it's it's kind of like, um, for example, like that kid that got eaten by a gator at the Disney hotel when he was running around the waterbed, around like oh uh, down in dusk, Florida because that's yeah because that's when the gators hunt and I mean they're yep. not going to discriminate. They see something they want to eat, they're going to eat it. Um, so yeah, I mean they looked everywhere but the obvious, but. You know, they found the kid the next day and, you know, I digress, but like, it just, again, it just sounds like they're making up something scary for just like gators eating shit in the dark. But I am, I anyway. am surprised gonna... that Captain Cryptid is the one trying to debunk this and we're not even like, right. Uh, let's see. We're not even what? Uh, so 15 minutes. That's in? the only time I'm, I, that's the only time I'm going to be like, uh, critical about this because it's, it, you know, but like, uh, I mean, gators are big, dude. Gators are big. They can be. Now, the bunyips, presumably seen by witnesses, according to their descriptions, most commonly fit one of two categories. 60% of sightings resemble seals or swimming dogs, and 20% of sightings are of long-necked creatures with small heads. The remaining descriptions are ambiguous beyond categorization. That's that's interesting. So this could potentially even be like two different things people are seeing it's possible like one could be the quote-unquote bunyip and then the other could just be something else that we don't even know we just call it a bunyip because we don't know it could be two cryptids you're absolutely right yeah now the the excuse me the seal dog variety is most often described as being between four and six feet long with a shaggy black or brown coat according to the reports these bunyips have round heads resembling a bulldog, prominent ears, no tail, and whiskers like a seal or an otter. Wow. Okay. Yeah, that's a lot different sounding than the original one that you described there. Yeah, with the long neck and the emu and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So the long-necked variety is allegedly between 5 and 15 feet long, which is like a huge variance, Um, and is said to have black or brown fur, large ears, small tusks, a head like a horse or an emu, uh, an elongated manned neck about three feet long and with many folds of skin and a horse-like tail. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of funny how those two things get confused for the same thing, right? They sound like... completely different. <laughs> yeah. Like, how do you see those two different things? We're like, oh, yeah, th- that's Bunyip, I guess. That's the Bunyip. Well, the Bunyip <laughs> has been described by natives as amphibious, nocturnal, and inhabiting lakes, rivers, and swamps. Bunyips, according to Aborigines, can swim swiftly with fins or flippers, have a loud, roaring call, and feed on crayfish, though some legends portray them as bloodthirsty predators of humans, particularly women and children. 
bunyip eggs are allegedly laid in platypus nests. <laughs> so I'm just going to say, no wonder they attack people. Like if I was a 15 foot long creature, assuming like I was weighing about 200 pounds, probably more, and had to hunt crayfish to stay fed. Yeah, no, thank you. I'll take the women yeah. and children. Bring those on. F that noise. <laughs> so the origin of bunyip. The word bunyip comes from the Wurgaya language of Aboriginal people of Southeast Australia. It translates to devil or evil spirit. Yeah, that's uh, pretty original there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Got creative. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of debate over actual, the actual origin of the bunyip. But the bunyip gotcha. darkened the folklore of Australia's Aboriginal people for centuries before it made its debut in written records of European settlers who brought the, into the legend or sorry, who bought into the legend wholeheartedly. Originally, the monster went by a different name in each indigenous tribe. The Wowie Wowie, the Yalu, the Kian Prate, Prati, Kian Prati, the Dongu, and more. <laughs> wowie wowie <laughs> Dongu God damn it Dongu uh, When Europeans got their hands on these various monsters They united them under the single most popular name Bunyip Yeah I mean they should have called it the Dongu forever Because that's a way way better name I like Wowie Wowie <laughs> Wowie Wowie That's a good one Big too. Wowie Wowie fan However that Big goes back wowie to wowie. what you, could, you brought up Is this could be a bunch of different cryptids and because mm-hmm. whitey got lazy we decided now nah, they're all gonna be bunyip fuck them it's just bunyip i don't know what it is it's bunyip yeah now yeah. as we've yeah. already stated the bunyip is a mythical creature from australia aboriginal mythology it lurks in swamps billabongs creeks riverbeds and waterholes the most frequent reports of bunyip sightings came from the southeastern colonies of victoria new south wales and south australia in the 1840s and 50s the legend says that a man named Bunyip once broke the rainbow serpent's greatest law by eating his totem animal. I'm assuming a rainbow serpent. <laughs> After that, he was banished and transformed into an evil spirit that lured tribesmen into the water to eat them. Yeah, yeah. his totem animal was a crayfish and women and children. <laughs> so now Bunyip's doomed to eat that for the rest of his life. <laughs> it's a pretty rough gig. <laughs> The bunyip gobbles up children and livestock if they inch too close to the edge of the water. It mainly preys upon women and children in the darkest of, in the darkness of night. Yeah, I guess just add the livestock right to that totem too. Why not? I mean, duh. Yeah. Aborigines also have differing opinions on the bunyip. Some believe it's a bloodthirsty murderer, but others have called the bunyip a punisher sent to earth to bring justice to anyone who commits evil acts and to protect the wildlife. Sure. Why not? I'll give it to him. What else is it doing here? So, obviously that. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus. During the early settlement of Australia by Europeans, the notion became uncommonly held that the bunyip was an unknown animal that awaited discovery. Leave it to Whitey. Unfamiliar with the sights and sounds of the uh, the island continent's uh, peculiar fauna, Early Europeans believed that the bunyip described to them was one more strange Australian animal they sometimes attributed unfamiliar animals' calls or cries to it. 
Scholars suggest also that 19th century Bunyip lore was reinforced by imported European folklore, such as that of the Irish puka. Yeah, I mean, I have to imagine settling on a new, uh, like a new island, you have the notion that you're going to see some strange things that you're mm-hmm. not used to back home. So, well, and, and also, like, I've never been to Australia, but I remember all of the memes um from maybe like five ten years ago of just like australia everything here wants to kill you yeah oh yeah like everything in australia is just designed to murder you yeah because it's just so hot there everything mm-hmm. is just larger and wants yeah, to kill you it's insane <laughs> now a large number of bunyip sightings occurred during the 1840s and 50s particularly in the southeastern colonies of victoria south wales south australia as european settlers extended their reach Sure. Settler superstition mixed with settler paranoia. More sightings. I I get it. So let's take a look at some of the um, important or, you know, main things that led to this particular cryptid becoming more and more popular. Okay. The Hume find of 1818. One of the earliest accounts relating to a large unknown freshwater animal was in 1818 when Hamilton Hume and James Meehan found some large bones at Lake Bathurst in New South Wales. They did not call the animal a bunyip, but described the remains, indicating the creature was very much like a hippopotamus or a manatee. The Philosophical Society of Australia later uh, uh, offered to reimburse Hume for any costs incurred in recovering a specimen of the unknown animal. But for various reasons, Hume did not return to the lake. Uh, ancient Dipperdon skeletons have sometimes been compared to the hippopotamus. And they are a land animal, but have sometimes been found in a lake or water course. All right. So that one's, that was kind of, like, for me, that's a hard to give credit to, right? Because, I mean, I don't doubt that they found animal remains back then. Um, but being new to the area, they probably didn't know what animal it was. And being so long ago, like how accessible is that knowledge to identify an unknown animal from a new continent? Mm-hmm. So, you know what I mean? Like, well, so now like over 200 years they later, had to we take go, it, yeah. We, yeah. So it's like, eh, okay. Like, no doubt. Did you find something dead, but a, a bunyip, like could have been a well, hippo for all we know. It, you know. it could have, but at the same time, like they, they also could have taken these bones and they could have brought them to the Aboriginal people lay them out and go what is this we don't know what this is what is this and then the aborigines go that's a motherfucking bun yet yeah yeah no no doubt no doubt so and i'm sure they they did something like that like they didn't just go nah we don't know what it is um yeah like just find it on the side of the road just like i don't know (laughs) so the next one is the wellington cave fossils of 1830 now this was more significant um, when the discovery of fossilized bones of some quadruped much larger than the ox or the buffalo in the Wellington Caves in the mid-1830s by Bushman George Rankin, and later by Thomas Mitchell. Evidently, they didn't go together. Sydney's Reverend John Dunmore Lang announced the find as convincing proof of the deluge, referring to biblical accounts of the flood, but British anatomist sir richard owen identified the fossils as the gigantic marsupials no 
Octotherium and Diprodon. At the same time, some settlers observed that all natives throughout these districts have tradition of a very large animal having at one time existed in the large creeks and rivers, and by many it is said that such animals now exist. I don't know, man. Again, it's just like it's so long ago. It's just like I feel like it could be maybe a dinosaur. Um, I, I wish like... There were photos of it back then, but like cameras had just come out, so it was expensive. And well, yeah, I don't know. Like again, like I'm sure they had local people in on it, so they probably had like better sources. But so I mean, but they they said, okay, so here's some fossils. What are we looking mm-hmm. at? And one guy goes, "You're looking yeah. at dinosaurs. It's all. It's a diprodon, mm-hmm. right? Or a, or a nototherium. That's right." You know, we know that that was around in this area at that time. We that that history already exists, so this is what it's got to be. Exactly. And then, and then somebody else just comes along. Uh, where is it? Yeah, I don't know. Somebody said it, but they were like, "Hey, guys, just you know, think about this for a second. Like, it could be that, but have you talked to any of the natives? Because they all have lore of this type of." animal existing not only a long time ago but now right right so again it could be very much it, it could be either one mm-hmm. uh yeah again the, the the guy who wants to believe in all these is leaning on dinosaurs i know so i don't know what that's i don't know what that says about me right now <laughs> well let's talk about australian museums bunyip of 1847 okay the purported it. bunyip skull. Now that sounds good. Hopefully, some solid evidence here. I'm I'm ready for this skull. In January of 1846, a peculiar skull was taken by a settler from the banks of, oh boy, Murrumbidgee River near Balranald, New South Wales. Why Why are these names so ridiculous? Initial reports suggested <laughs> that it was a skull of something unknown to science. The squatter who found it remarked, all the natives to whom it was shown called it a bunyip. By July 1847, several experts, including W.S. Mackley, a professor, and Professor Owen, had identified the skull as the deformed photal skull of a foal or calf. At the same time, the purported bunyip skull was put on display in the Australian Museum in Sydney for two days. Visitors flocked to see it, the Sydney Morning Herald reported that many people spoke out about their bunyip sightings. Reports of this discovery used the phrase Klein Pratier as well as bunyip. Explorer William Hovel, who examined the skull, also called it cotton pie. I mean, look, deformed cow skull or not, it's something in the tangible evidence wheelhouse. Um... And I mean, it's how, just too how bad do you prove it, like, that it was a deformed cow skull? You know what I mean? Like, right. What do you put that up against to, to get something to, to fall back on? Exactly. So exactly. Uh, in March of that year, a bunyip or an immense platypus was sighted sunning himself on the placid bo- bosom of the Yara, just os- uh, opposite the custom house in Melbourne. Immediately, a crowd gathered, and three men set off by boat to secure, excuse me, the stranger, which disappeared 
when they were about a yard away. <laughs> I mean, yeah, same. Bunyip's just minding his own business. I would absolutely do the same. So this particular story is fascinating to me because once something was on display that gave people proof, regardless of whether or not it was real, all of a sudden people are talking about all of their encounters and people are seeing the creature, like, immediately after. So it goes from being a myth to being something everyone experienced. It's like, for me, this is where it's like, oh, how convenient. Yep, yep, exactly. And once, once people see their boogeyman, they're convinced it's real. Um, you know what I mean? Again, yeah. if I saw something scary in the dark and I was like, oh, maybe, like, I would, yeah, definitely. So. <laughs> All right, so we're going to move on now to William Buckley's account of Bunyips in 1852. Sweet. Another early written account is attributed to escaped convict William Buckley in his 1852 biography of 30 years, living with the Watharong people. His 1852 account records, quote, in Lake Mudewari, now Lake Mudewari, as well as in most of the other inland, is a very extraordinary amphibious animal, which the natives call Bunyip. Buckley's account suggests he saw such a creature on several occasions. He adds, quote, I could never see any part except the back, which appeared to be covered with feathers of a dusky gray color. It seemed to be about the size of a full-grown calf. I could never learn from any of the natives that they had either uh, they had seen either the head or the tail. Buckley also claimed the creature was common in the Barwon River and cites an example he heard of an aboriginal woman being killed by one. He emphasizes the Bunyip was believed to have supernatural powers. That's so strange, man. Like, this guy actually saw something in the water and couldn't identify it, but the aboriginals were like, no, dude, that's Bunyip. Yeah. Oh, that's a great piece you found. Like, that's, yeah. that's really so interesting. That was, that was pretty cool. Because he, he described it to the natives, and they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah it's just a Bunyip. Yep, no worries. It's just Bunyip. <laughs> yeah, we know about him. Don't worry about it. Yeah, we know. It's cool. He hangs out. <laughs> um, and now, so here's here's an even more in-depth thing. So, Stockler's Sightings and Drawings from 1857. So, in an article titled The Bunyip, a newspaper reported on the drawings made by Edwin Stockler as he traveled on the Murray and Goulburn rivers. Amongst the latter drawings, we noticed a likeness of the bunyip. This is a quote. Or rather, a view of the neck and shoulders of the animal. Mr. Stockler informs us that the bunyip is a large freshwater seal, having two small paddles or fins attached to the shoulders, a long swan-like neck, a head like a dog, and a curious bag hanging under the jaw, resembling the pouch of the pelican. The animal is covered with hair, like the platypus, and the color is a glossy black. Mr. Stockler saw no less than six of these curious animals at different times. His boat was within 30 feet of one near Maguire's punt in the Goldburn, and he fired at the bunyip, but did not succeed in capturing him. Because that's brilliant. Oh, look, that's new. Let me kill it. The smallest yeah, appeared right. to be about five feet in length, and the largest exceeded 15 feet. The head of the largest was the size of a bullock's head. I don't know what a bullock is. And three feet out of water. 
After taking a sketch of the animal, Mr. Stockler showed it to several aborigines of the Goulburn tribe who declared that the picture was, quote, Bunyip's brother, meaning the duplicate or likeness of a Bunyip. The animals moved against the current at the rate of about 17 miles an hour, and Mr. Stockler states that he could have approached close to the specimens he observed. Had he not been deterred by the stories of the natives concerning the power and fury of the bunyip, and by the fact that his gun had only a single barrel, his boat was of a very frail description. So before I go on, um, this was a direct quote, and so I had to substitute aborigines and replace a different word, <laughs> because this is this is an old um, European article from the mid 1800s so that should tell you all you need to know about what word yeah. i got uh got rid of they're being, anyway they're being chill yes so chris sorry so, your thoughts <laughs> uh, <laughs> no these are always the stories that i find fascinating though like i love hearing about explorers finding something they can't explain you know they make a little doodle or sketch or something and then show it to the you know the aboriginals and they go oh yeah yeah man that's the bunyip you mm-hmm. know ancient evil that's been hidden away from society don't don't mess with it or you know whatever they say something yeah. like that i thought it was sure. really cool <laughs> i thought it was really cool that like he saw a bunch of them and they ranged yeah. from 5 to 15 feet so it's like okay so maybe there's the the younger ones and then the full grown ones or whatever the case may be but there's one guy seeing the same thing six times, and it was a different size every time. Yeah, right. So he was he was close to like a nest or something, or some. There's more yeah. than one. Maybe that's what the different descriptions are. Even could be a baby and a full grown one. Yep. Um, so the description varied across newspaper accounts. The great bunyip question seemed like uh, likely to be brought to a close as Mr. Stockler, an artist and a gentleman who has come up the Murray in a small boat, states that he saw one and was enabled to take a drawing of this vexed question, but could not succeed in catching him. <laughs> I love an artist and a gentleman. It's just, yeah, I, I the, didn't know people actually said that. That's all. The quotes <laughs> like, from these it. newspaper accounts are so fucking great. Um, right? So now here's the, the crazy thing, right? So it goes on to say, we have seen the sketch and it, puts us in mind of a hybrid between the water mole and the great sea serpent. Mr. Stockler, an artist, and his mother are on an expedition down the Murray for the purpose of making some faithful sketches of the views on this fine stream, as well as of the creatures frequenting it. I have seen some of their productions as they uh, portray localities with which I am well acquainted can pronounce the drawing's faithful representations. Mother and son go down the stream in a canoe. The lady paints flowers. The son devotes himself, uh, devotes himself to choice views on the riverside. One of the drawings represents a singular creature, which the artist is unable to classify. It has the appearance in miniature of the famous sea serpent, as that animal is described by navigators. Mr. Stockiller was about 55 yards distant from it at first sight as it lay placidly on the water. On being observed, the stranger set off, working his paddles briskly, and rapidly disappeared. 
Captain Cadell has tried to solve the mystery, but is not yet satisfied as to what the animal really is. Mr. Stockler states that there were about two feet of it above water when he first saw it, and he estimated its length from five to six feet. The worthy captain says that unless the creature is the musk drake, so-called from giving off a very strong odor of musk, he cannot account for the novelty. <laughs> just Captain Cadell, just just the term a musk drake. Like he already sounds like he's captain full of shit. Like what the fuck's a musk drake, dude? Like unless it's this other thing I made up, it's the bunyip. <laughs> Fuck. Well, Stockler disputed the newspaper descriptions in a letter, stating that he never called the animal a bunyip. It did not have a swan-like neck, and he never said anything about the size of the animal, as he never saw the whole body. He went on to write that all would be revealed in his diorama, as and, and it's going to be in a shoebox. Remember that? Yeah. <laughs> all would be revealed in his diorama, as an almost life-size portrayal of the beast would be included. The diorama took him four years to paint, and was reputed to be a mile long. And made of 70 individual pictures. The diorama has long since disappeared and may no longer exist. Yeah, dude. So, <laughs> that that's like serious, serious work, like work you put in there. Just to have nobody give a shit about it four years later, man. That's like a real, real bummer. I know. Like, he should have just made a shoebox one at this point. Because... <laughs> God damn. So uh, for me, that's the real shame, though. Like, if this, if the creature was supposed to be in this diorama, that would shed some real light on this particular cryptid, because this is a cryptid that was popular mostly in the mid 1800s. So unlike Mothman, there's no way to get pictures of the actual beast. So unless Stockler is a complete troll, he actually holds the key to unlocking the cryptid. And it's like if someone came in today and said, I have a, a picture of me high-fiving Bigfoot, uh, either complete troll or the proof everyone's looking for. Like, that's what this guy was. Yeah. Uh, and I just want to bring up a point, too. If you do have a picture of you big, like high-fiving Bigfoot, I want to see it. Please send it to the email. At uh, It's the number four guys media network at gmail.com. I don't even care if it's real or fake. I just want to see a picture of somebody yeah, high-fiving Yeah, I just want to see it. Like... <laughs> You could send it to me and be like, this is absolutely fake. I, I still want to see it. Like, still want to that. see it. All right. Yeah. So in the 21st century, the bunyip has been featured in works around the world. As we talked yeah. about in the intro, 2001, Final Fantasy X, bunyip is a helm slash armored type enemy that can be found along the Dijos High Road. You need to capture five of each arm armor type in order to unlock the tanket in the species conquest section of the monster arena. Nerd. Absolute nerd. It's, it's, it's pretty fun, actually. <laughs> so, in 2002, Chris, the video game series Tie the Tasmanian Tiger. <laughs> uh, Tie the Tasmanian Tiger portrays Bunyip as a peaceful, mystical elder who inhabits the world of the dreaming though not okay. as ferocious as their namesake and resembling primates. The robotic suits that Ty can pilot in Ty the Tasmanian Tiger 2, Bush Rescue, and Ty the Tasmanian Tiger 3, Knight of the Quinkman, uh, Quinkin, 
are named after the bunyips, such as shadow bunyip, battle bunyip, and missile bunyips. So they took a, a, a few creative liberties, I see. Just a couple. Just a little bit. In 2009, a character named Bruce Bunyip appears in the children's book The Nediad by American Daniel Pinkwater. He is initially described as big and swarthy and had tiny eyes, a scowl, and his eyebrows grew together and later says that he is a monster. Shame. They really had a, the opportunity to give him those juicy apricot eyes. Yeah, I don't know why. Why would you give him beady little eyes? Uh, 2009, okay. also, Bunyips appeared as the ferocious cryptids at, in an episode of The Secret Saturdays. However, they were depicted as small, troublemaking creatures instead of monsters. Never heard of that show, but it sounds like something I would watch on a Saturday. I have to assume that it's like an Australian show. We should just like, oh, Ozzy Man, can sense. you please um, reach out and inform us on what the hell these are? Yeah, yeah, Ozzy Man, if you're yeah. listening... Reach out to us. Which he's not, but that's okay. If somebody is listening, <laughs> forward this to Ozzy. Um, if, yeah, if you're friends with them, let them know. Yeah. We're looking for Hit them. me up. If our one Australian <laughs> listener knows Ozzy Man. 2010. Bunyips appear in Naomi Novik's fantasy novel, Tongues of the Serpent. Mm. All right. Good read, I assume. 2014. <laughs> In the novel Afterwards, one of the characters is the author of a fictional book named Bunyip. I'm sorry, in the novel Afterworlds, one of the characters is the author of a fictional book named Bunyip. Okay. Yes. <laughs> 2014, I'm just, these are facts, Chris. What do you want from yeah, me? Yeah. Uh, yep. 2014, hey, the I, fantasy I novel Queen of the Dark Things by C. Robert Cargill features the Bunyip throughout the story. All right, so that's the God. It's just like they mentioned a bunyip in a book. It's so yep. underwhelming. Yeah, I know. Well, let's <laughs> talk Wikipedia. about let's talk about 2019. The bunyip is among the titans monitored in Monarch in the film Godzilla: King of the Monsters. Yeah, never saw it and heard mixed things about it. Yeah, so probably, probably we'll never see it's, it. It's probably shit. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Today, the bunyip is largely regarded as no more than a charming bit of folklore. He is usually portrayed as a gentle giant. He has even starred in children's books and television series, as we just discussed. Yeah, and that's because bunyips control the literary world, and they're misleading our youth. It's all proof. This whole this whole podcast has been proof that's, of that. So. That's what this is. That's our main goal. Yeah. Interestingly... The monster's name has also picked up some political connotation. It can be used as a derogatory term to belittle political movements that are made up of imposters or humbug. During the 1850s, it was used to mock the Bunyip aristocracy, a group of European settlers who aspired to create a new class in Australian society. In the 1930s, the word was used again as an attack on the Liberal Party of Australia. All right. Well, you know, I can see that being a useful name to call people, I guess. I mean, we we say fucking snowflake over here, so I don't see how bunyip's any worse. makes you a bunyip. <laughs> yeah, you fucking bunyip. I'm going to start uh. calling people a bunyip. That's it. <laughs> That's, you're, such a, you're such a bunyip. <laughs> Goddamn bunyip. <laughs> well, <laughs> 
even though Chris has been doing this for the majority of the podcast, no cryptozoology episode would be complete without an, a, quote, explanation of the myth, according to other sources, not us. Yeah. Even though most Australians today believe that the bunyip is purely mythological, a small pocket of cryptozoologists still cling to the numerous fossils and sightings of Australia's watery monster. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. Just a, I don't know if you'll know this or not, but like, do you know if there's like actual any like photographs or fossils that are still around? Uh, the answer to that question, Chris, is maybe... Um, so I have just pictures of the bunyip um, that will, mm-hmm. you know, roll across your screen, obviously, throughout this episode, and we'll put on Instagram. Uh, but there's also a picture of the deformed calf skull that we have on this episode, okay. too. Yeah, so that's up there. Nice. Cool. Um, Good. Yeah. The most popular theory names the Diprodon, a giant marsupial, which has been extinct in Australia for over 46,000 years, as the famous water beast. Passionate believers claim that this massive marsupial still lurks in Australia's rugged outback, while more moderate believers claim that the Aborigine people may have a cultural memory of the Dipperdon, a sort of oral tradition which has been handed down from generation to generation and accepted as true by each new generation. <laughs> I like that it's kind of like a uh, like a folklore telephone, if you will. Just yeah, like essentially. Something well, gets added. or That's what oral tradition ends up being. Yeah, exactly. Like so. some people leave things out, some people add things in, and yep. changes over time. Exactly. Uh, elephant seals and leopard seals have also been proposed as explanations. If these seals somehow found their way inland, they could easily terrify native people with their size and their loud barks. Yeah, and that could explain uh, why there are two completely different descriptions for these guys, I guess. Yeah. I, I mean, I believe the Bunyip uh, is is real solely on the fact that I want to believe that they're real. And I think that's about it because there's not a lot of overwhelming evidence there, but I just want to believe it's real, evidence, so I'm going to do that. The evidence isn't overwhelming, but it's also – it's not – like I feel like thinking about the Bunyip – it's not as hard to imagine the Bunyip being real as it is for, like, Bigfoot or the Loch Ness Monster being real. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes total sense. I was actually just about to say, like, that's what makes all cryptozoology fun, right? It's, yeah. like, the lack of evidence. Like, people think they saw something. But, um, like, remember like remember the Mothman episode, right? We had, like, all those pictures yeah. and sightings and firsthand accounts yep. and all that kind of stuff, right? And you're and so, like, Absolutely. for me, like, it's a lot – the Bunyip – or not the Bunyip. The Mothman is, like, way clearer in the cryptozoology world than, say, Bigfoot because no one's just, right. like – and granted, we haven't done a Bigfoot episode yet, and so I haven't done a lot of research on it yet, but, like, I've never – personally heard anybody going i'm walking through the woods and bigfoot comes up to us and he like growls at us and makes us leave and then you know something else happens where we were and thank goodness bigfoot saved our lives you know what i mean like that story with the mothman and i think it was like in china or something like that um yeah so like those i don't remember like people say like oh i got a picture of bigfoot or whatever the case may be but there's never 
anything that I've heard like that. Same thing with like the Loch Ness monster. It's like people say they saw it, but it's like this is like years and years and years of sightings and pictures and you know like drawings and granted the drawings are you know disappeared but like then you have like this you know famous ancient thing really resembles what you're talking about but the aborigines unless they were just really good at passing down their heritage and stories which is completely plausible there's no reason to believe that people weren't seeing this thing and like it it, i mean it appears to me okay so there's still crayfish or crawfish or whatever the hell Mm -hmm. they are right those still exist and if that was its main food source it's not like its main food source dwindled away causing it to go extinct so right like and and from the stories and the research that i did it's not like the aboriginal people were hunting it. Right. They were they saying, were, they were, saying they were scared it. shitless like, of no it. Yeah. You know, so, yeah. and like this guy just trolling down a river, um, sees six of them. Right. According and, to him. And tries so, to pursue it. Yeah. So like, I, it's, it's way easier for me to kind of get on board with the bunyip. Sure. With the exception of its fucking name, because it's awful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's uh, you know that's that's what happens when uh, things get uh, named in Australia, as we heard the Wowie Wowie. I know the Dongu, it's, but it's like it's, it's so funny because like you have like okay, so Bigfoot isn't like terrifying, but it's also yeah. you know what I mean. Like Bigfoot's not a terrifying name, but also like it's got the word big in it, so it kind mm-hmm. of instills a little bit of fear. Because it's big. Um, yeah. Same thing with the Loch Ness monster. Like that's a scary thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then and then you go and like the crazy thing is is that like this creature that we're talking about right now is terrifying in its description. Right. Yeah. Like Absolutely regardless horrifying. of what description you take, it is terrifying. And they, and then it's sure. just like, oh my god, what is that thing? What is it called? And they're like, oh, that's Bunyip. Yeah, Bunyip. Uh. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. We call that uh, we call that one patty cakes over there. <laughs> oh man. Uh, well, I digress. Um, that's that's how we'll wrap up this episode uh the nice thing is is that we are going to continue down the cryptid train and we're going to do another cryptid we're going to do a back-to-back because i you know what new year this is me taking care of chris barry back-to-back cryptids you sweetie yeah thank you so much we gotta catch up i mean we've only done what one cryptid before this right mothman was the first cryptid yeah i think so and this is this is episode 24 for us so i need to catch you up on some cryptids hey there's so many conspiracies out there we don't we don't gotta rush but i'm I'm all i'm all down for cryptids good all right well thanks everybody for listening to the mystery in our history podcast and we will see you next time super fans bye adios
Hey guys, thanks for listening. If you have any suggestions or topics for us to cover, email us at fourguysmedianetwork at gmail.com. If you're on the go, you can subscribe to our shows on iTunes. Be sure to check out our Patreon page, Four Guys Media Network, for access to exclusive content like minisodes and more. We have a lot of goals to hit, so we can keep improving and continue providing more content ad-free. So all of your donations are greatly appreciated. Make sure you subscribe to the Four Guys Media Network YouTube channel for all of our other projects by clicking the link on the right. And lastly, if you want to watch another episode, just click the link on the left. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.